it's fair to say that the Milwaukee Brewers baseball team needs our help. But not because of any type of baseball stuff that we can do. We, we can't do anything. It's because they have an outbreak of pink eye. And pink eye is so infectious that the team has to ban high fives. It's, a, it's an integral part of baseball. It's as if you had to ban the bat or Date. gloves or bases. Just how infectious are high fives? David Whitworth at Aberystwyth University has actually studied this. Yeah, so, so the most bacteria transferred by just your average strong, firm, alpha male handshake, then it decreases where a high five, that's probably got about half as many bacteria being transferred as, as your strong handshake. But the best one was actually the fist bump um, because that was sort of 10 to 20 times fewer bacteria transferred. And I don't know if this number will mean anything to us, but how in, in your average uh, high five, how many bacteria are, are transferring from one person to another? In our experiment, it was millions, but that, that was an artificial situation where we, we deliberately coated our hands in bacteria first to, to make the, the, the measurements easier. In everyday life, I imagine that you're going to be transferring in the order of thousands, I would imagine. Well, tell, tell us a little bit about how you came to these findings, the, the methods of your research. Okay, so what we did was we, we, we did it all in the lab, and so everything was very controlled. And one of us dumped, dunked a, a hand, a gloved hand, into a, a very rich broth of bacteria. So they got a uniform covering over their hand, uh-huh. and they then exchanged the greeting, whether it was a handshake, fist bump, high five, whatever, um, with the other person. And then the person that received the bacteria through that greeting then essentially washed, washed the bacteria off their glove and counted how many had been transferred during that. So that, that was how we were able to sort of look at the relative transmission with the different um, greeting types. I, I mean, I, I understand you're a scientist and you work in a lab and this is all, this is what, uh-huh. what you do, but... When you're dipping your hand into a broth of bacteria, yeah, it, is that hard to make yourself do it? It stinks. That's <laughs> the worst thing. It really stinks. I mean, you know, when you go to the loo, that smell is the smell of the bacteria that's inside your gut, and and it's the same bacteria that we use in our experiments, E. coli. Oh. It does smell. But wait, what is the? Tell me what. Tell me about that broth of bacteria. What? Uh-huh. It, how thick is it? What is it? What color is it? Where did you get it? <laughs> Essentially, it's it's a, an orange soup that we make up that's really rich in uh, primarily sugars and protein, and then we we add the the bacteria to that, and they love growing on that, just like we would, I guess, if we drank it. And so they they grow and. And then this this lovely clear soup, orange soup, becomes progressively murkier and murkier until you've got this, this sort of thick suspension of, of bacteria in it. Doesn't Ugh. sound very nice, does it? No. <laughs> you know, it, occasionally in, in shaking someone's hand, you'll encounter a typical macho type who will uh, hold your hand, try and really crush it. Uh-huh, yeah. In your, <laughs> is that person... Um, Potentially transferring more bacteria than a person with a you know more traditional handshake. Yeah, absolutely. So we actually looked at this because we were interested in trying to find out why the handshake transmits more bacteria than the fist bump. And so one of the things we tested was whether the strength of the grip or the strength of contact made a difference. And with the handshake, yeah, there was a very definite trend that the the stronger the handshake, the more 
wow. instead of you sort of pressing them into each other's <laughs> hand when you engage in a really strong handshake. Mm. Yeah. Well, if you're out in the wild and public and you run into one of your uh, buddies from the lab, uh-huh. knowing all the risk factors, <laughs> what do you do when you see that, that person? Well, hopefully if any bacteria they're working on in the lab is still in the lab. <laughs> So, okay, so the high five, uh, it isn't great. The fist bump is better, but still not perfect. Is anything truly completely safe? Uh, Dr. John Brooks is an infectious disease doc for the Centers for Disease Control. So, John, you've you've been on outbreaks. Is there a uh, completely non-infectious way these guys could celebrate? Well, you know, it's it's funny. It, you'd think you'd think like elbow bumps with you know fabric there may be okay, but I might not risk it. And if there were, um, you know, uh, I don't know what else people can do if they can like butt their helmets together or something, you know, or hip checks maybe because that's further away from your face, you know. Mm-hmm. So you could do kind of like the hip bump thing. That okay. that would be kind of novel too. Well, how, John, in your in your work in the field, if you're handling materials like that. And let's say something happens that's exciting and it's a victory for you and, and your uh, colleagues. How do you guys celebrate? We wave our hands a lot in the air and, you know, pump high fives. And, but, you know, if it's, uh, and if it's safe, if people have washed their hands pretty thoroughly, you know, fist bump, you know, uh, shaking hands when there's a lot of stuff going around, you know, you shake your hand once, then maybe you're going to go get some of that hand gel out of your pocket. You know, maybe just have somebody squirting the stuff down the line. You know, everybody's rubbing their hands together and then yeah. high-fiving as they go down. Um, or, you know, you could have a surrogate, like, you know, those clapper hands. You ever seen those things you can hold and you slap them together? Oh. You could hand those out, and then they could maybe run down the line clacking those. So they're only touching one hand, but the actual devices touching and making the noise yeah. aren't infected. Yeah. And then they're easy to sanitize. You can just wash them in soap and water. What if, I mean, baseball teams have a bat boy. What if you had a Purell boy? Uh, you know, that's an interesting thought, sort of the hand hygiene boy. You know? Yeah. Yeah, kind of outfitted with a uh, vest that, you know, like is impregnated with Purell or the equivalent kind of alcohol-based hand rub that you can just rub your hands on and get some out, you know, kind of like a, a wet thing with that on it. I don't know. how You'd have to do some experiments to see how that worked. But it could be a really interesting innovation. Does anything like that exist? Uh, It doesn't, not to the best of my knowledge. I'll tell you the reason I was thinking about this is, you know, when you handle that bat, and you've got pink eye, that virus is getting onto the bat, so the next person who picks up the bat could get it. You know, this virus does persist in the environment pretty long. Wait a minute, though. So if if the pitcher has pink eye, Mm -hmm. and the batter, he throws the ball, the batter hits it, hits a home run, and the guy catches it in the stands, that guy could get pink eye well it depends on who had the pink eye see now if it was the pitcher who had the pink eye and he threw it with his bare hand after scratching his eye just for the sake of really getting a good dose of the virus onto his hand sure the bat could hit it could fly up into the stands the guy catches the ball and if he like you know rubs his eye and it was just the right perfect set of circumstances you know every, everything fell right into place maybe it could be transmitted wow. i feel like if you're a baseball fan and your favorite pitcher has uh thrown the ball that then got sent via home run into your hand and yeah. you got the same pink eye you got pink eye from your favorite baseball player it, it would be some consolation i guess i mean you're going to be you know you're going to be walking around with a pink eye that might itch for a while and be tearing up a whole lot and you might give it to your friends and family i mean but if he just wore latex gloves when he caught the ball 
You know, yes. then he could put it down, take off the gloves, and sanitize and sanitize the ball too, and everything would be just fine. But that's, I mean, that's that's better than an autograph, though. It is, but it's but it is a venous. I mean, it goes away. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. I mean, could you just say high five and then not actually do a high five? You know, you say could. I, I, we should try that. I'd like to see what happens. We, I mean, that we could high five right now. Okay. High five. High five. High five. Ooh, that felt oh, that, good. That felt good. Yeah, yeah, I felt very successful. There was this letter to the editor in the New York Times last week that uh, was was pretty amazing. J- Jillian, do you have it there? I do. To the editor. Please print this letter so that when my patients Google me, they will see that their psychiatrist and psychoanalyst has been published in the New York Times. From Bruce J. Levin. That, that, is, that is all it said. And we should point out that Bruce J. Levin doesn't actually sound like that. He's actually on the line with us now. So, Bruce, where did you get the idea uh, to do this? I suppose I just kind of had the idea of this letter is just, you know, what would be one of the more absurd things that... Uh, a psychiatrist or a psychoanalyst could could write in. So, so Bruce, are you in front of a computer right now? Yes. So, can you Google yourself right now and see what happens? <laughs> sure. Uh, let's see. I'll do Bruce J. Levin. I could do uh, MD psychiatrist and psychoanalyst. Oh yeah. Okay, so I found there's one of these uh, health rating sites. Yeah, then uh, I think fourth down was this letter that just came out. There are some things that follow that letter that uh, relate to the letter but kind of went viral from it. Yeah, so okay, so maybe not the New York Times, but there'll be stories connecting you to the New York Times uh, right. if, if we Google you. Right. How does it feel, uh, Bruce, going forward to know that now you'll be uh, published on NPR's How to Do Everything? <laughs> well, I thought the New York Times was an honor, but this is uh, a much bigger honor. <laughs> we do want to take a moment here to tell you uh, that if you're listening to this podcast, you've probably figured out how to download podcasts from the internet. Uh, there are also other shows you should try. Yeah, a great place to start would be the Fresh Air podcast it's one of my favorite shows it's probably one of the best shows out there uh, that's where terry gross interviews people like uh john stewart larry david amy poehler we got a long list of people here they're all famous people you've heard of yeah pretty much just anyone who is good at talking has been on that show here's the thing if i hear a promo for fresh air and i think i have no interest in that topic I usually am so riveted by the interview that I end up listening anyway. Yeah, that's right. I will sometimes be 15 minutes in and wonder why I'm so interested, but I'm still interested. You can find Fresh Air's podcast at npr.org slash podcasts. Hey, Marie, what can we help you with? Well, I have for a long time been really bothered by this thing that everybody believes in without question. And the saying is that no two snowflakes are alike. Yes. Now, that cannot possibly be true. I think it's, the, it's like the current version of um, the earth is flat. Do you live in a, a snowy climate, Marie? Yeah, I live in St. Paul. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. So then have you gone out? Have you actually found two snowflakes that look alike? To me, they pretty much all look alike. Yeah. 
what really eats at me is just people, the thing that really bugs me is that people just believe it. They just believe it. They don't even think about it. I mean, I hear people saying it all the time on the news or whatever. Mm. Yeah. No two are ever alike. There is certain, I mean, it's kind of a, it's a cliche, obviously, but it's also kind of poetic and it speaks to the, you know, inherent individuality that is inside all of us. Oh man, that's deep. I mean, on the other hand, though, you could say that it means that we're all alone. You know, yeah. that it just like snowflakes, there's no one like us, no one we could possibly match with. I think it's better to get rid of it. Ah, there you go. You know, there there is a guy at uh, Caltech who we should get on the phone who actually studies snowflakes. Oh God! And we, we'll look into it. We'll we'll call him after we get off the phone with you. Okay. We, we'll look into it with him. I I don't know the answer. What if? What are you going to do if this guy who studies this says, you know what, no two are alike? He better have some pretty good proof. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so the guy I mentioned who studies snowflakes at Caltech, uh, his name is Ken Liebrecht. Let's try and get him on the phone. Hello. Hi. How are you? Good. Good. Uh, my name is Ian, and I'm here with Mike. Hey there, Ken. Hey, where are you guys calling from? Chicago. Hi. Uh, very good. Could you tell? No. So, Ken, is it true that no two snowflakes are alike? Well, it depends a little on what you mean by alike, but, but yeah. Uh, if you just look at, at large-ish, say, stellar-looking snow crystals, the, the kind you sort of see on shopping mall advertisements, uh, the, the growth of these crystals is very sensitive to things like temperature and humidity. And that vary, and, and those things vary throughout the clouds when they're being made. And so, the the number of possible ways to grow these crystals is just enormous. And I like to say it's larger than the number of atoms in the universe. And so it's a really big number. Wow! As the crystal grows, it may take a half an hour for a crystal to grow, and that temperature it sees so it depends on the path it takes through the clouds as it's blowing around. And so the path is what determines the shape of the crystal. And since the atmosphere is very turbulent, uh, no two crystals will follow exactly the same path for that half hour. And so no two will be exactly alike. But it seems like in the, in the long span of time, conditions will have, would have created two identical snowflakes. Well, you know, it depends on how identical you mean by identical, of course. But, uh, uh, I mean... Sometimes I've seen some that look kind of similar, and a lot of them do look kind of similar. But nevertheless, they're, if you look carefully, they're not exactly alike. And, and part of it is just the, the rules of large numbers, of combinatorics. Uh, and I like to describe it with a, an analogy. If you, if you have, say, three books, okay. you can arrange three books on your bookshelf six different ways. You can count them. Well, if you have 15 books, you can arrange them a trillion different ways. And you can count those, too. And if you have 100 books, then the number of possible ways to arrange those books on your bookshelf is greater than the total number of atoms in the universe. Wow. So the numbers go up really quickly. <laughs> so if I was uh, sort of examining snowflakes in the most sensitive way possible, and I, I laid out every snowflake that has fallen on the Earth in, in, since the beginning of the Earth, it's possible no two would be alike. Yeah. Well, Ken, uh, Marie is, I think Marie is going to be pretty disappointed to find <laughs> out that they aren't 
uh, or that no two are alike. Uh, do you have any anything you could tell her to maybe soften the blow? <laughs> well, um, it's good that they're they're not alike. It it makes life interesting. I like to say that the question of snowflake alikeness is a little like a Zen koan. It really depends on what you mean by a like and even what you mean by a snowflake. Okay. Huh. So maybe that's what next time Marie encounters somebody and she and that person says, Oh, no two snowflakes are alike <laughs> then Marie could just counter well it depends on what you mean by alike and depends on what you mean by snowflake. Well, you know, it's nobody likes that answer. Well, Ken, thank you so much for talking to us about snowflakes. Sure. Support for How to Do Everything comes from our sponsors who support us with money. And support this week comes from Stamps.com. Stamps.com designed to make running a business easier. With Stamps.com, you can access the post office right from your desk. Print postage for any letter or package using your computer and never make time-consuming trips to the post office again. For a no-risk trial and a special bonus offer, go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in everything. Stamps.com, promo code everything. But that's not all, Ian. Support also comes from Trunk Club, a men's outfitting service. After signing up for Trunk Club, you'll be matched with your own personal stylist who will work with you to make you look great. It's going to take a lot of work, huh? We're not attractive. Each of Trunk Club's stylists has gone through extensive training to learn which sizes, colors, and brands will look great on you. The best part? Your stylist will get to know you better over time, making each trunk more fine-tuned to your style and preferences than the last. Get started at trunkclub.com slash everything. We got an email from Grace. Grace says she listens to How to Do Everything on double speed, so she actually has no idea what our normal voices sound like. Grace, these next 15 seconds are for you. Baby, what you trying to do? You better slow down. I think we could, we could actually give Grace an idea what we sound like if we, if we now slow our voices down to half speed, because then when she doubles it, It'll just sound like we normally do. What if, what if, what if we don't do that and we just talk in a really slow way? Well, that does it for this week's show. What'd you learn, Ian? I learned that it may be true that no two snowflakes are alike. I think that that's a, there's a great sense of wonder that comes from that, that every time you see the snow, that those snowflakes are utterly unique. It does It does kind of make you feel bad, I think, when you shovel. Yeah. That it's not just, it's not a pile of precipitation. It's thousands of individuals who have come from the heavens. Millions. To, to land on Earth and make their own way in the world. Yeah. And here we are just putting them in the in piles. Snowflakes, I am sorry. I am sorry to each and every one of you. You each have something to offer. We didn't respect your individuality. Come back. I don't. I feel like now we've gone, we've gone too far. Yep. Uniqueness does not equal the best. 
it's still just um, it's still just snow crystals. Snow is just fancy rain. I learned that virtual high fives are the probably the safest way to congrat to celebrate without transmitting disease. Yeah, you just say high five. High five. What if you did this? Let's try this. Uh, high five. High five. Uh, down low. Down low. Too slow. How to Do Everything is produced by Jillian Donovan with technical direction from Lorna White. Our intern this week is Dominic. Happy birthday, Dominic. Get us your questions at howto at npr.org. And, you know, we never mentioned this. We have a Twitter account that we don't really use that much, we but um, it's a way to find out about, you know, stuff we're doing sometimes. It's uh, H-T-D-E. That's the initials of our show, How to Do Everything. H-T-D-E. I'm Ian. And I'm Mike. High five. High five. Hold on. Cut the pickle. I don't know what that is. Tickle, tickle. <laughs> <laughs>